0: In this episode, I'm joined by the incredibly insightful Kay He, the creative mind behind Rad Reads and the podcast The Examined Life. We delve into Kay's transformative journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance and how he found joy and satisfaction in no longer chasing promotions. Kay shares his profound thoughts on what it truly means to have enough and how this concept has changed his perspective on success and self-worth. We also discuss the evolution of mental health awareness in ourselves and our community, the power of authenticity, and the importance of aligning our actions with our values. If you are seeking a deeper understanding of what success and contentment might mean to you and how to overcome those fears that currently hold you back, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. This episode is also sponsored by Acquire.com. More on that later. Now here's Kay. Okay, welcome to the show. We were chatting on Twitter a couple days ago about a presentation that you made to get a promotion, at a job that you had in the past, and I asked you what that presentation would look like today, and you had some trouble coming up with a reply there, so tell me about a life that is as good as it gets and needs no more promotions.
1: Oh, man. Uh, You're taking me back. First, thank you for having me on. And after so many years of Twitter friendship, to to be breaking bread together is is amazing. Yeah. So I'll take you back to that moment. This is this presentation. I was 30, 31 years old on Wall Street. And I'm like, I kick butt at this job. I work. I outwork anyone. I play the long game. I've always kind of I prided myself on like understanding the meta games of things. And so I create this seven page presentation. I'm like, you better promote me. And then I kind of winked to my boss. And, and I said, you know, if you don't, there's some people that, that, that want these skills. And so it was kind of, you know, it was, it was aggressive. Uh, and people who know me, they're like, you're like very gentle, kind of like spiritual guy. But when I need to be aggressive, I'll be aggressive. And so that was the original presentation. And now I'm nine years into, a, I guess, a creative entrepreneur, and I'm in the point of transition, which we probably will talk about. But there's nothing I want to change about my life. And so when you ask me what would I be pitching for, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. And I was, I was with some creators yesterday. I was with some. Uh, creators who are ex- way like infinitely more c- successful than me financially, everything by every metric, and they're talking about their number. You know, once I hit X, eight figures, what you know, fifty million, whatever the number was, and then, and then they asked me because I'm not as motivated to grow, and I and and they said, well, you know, are you are you trying to get to this so that you can do more? Get to this number so you can do more of this? I'm like, no, I do. Exactly what I want. If I was 70 with a functioning brain, I would do my version of this. And so I was kind of said to myself, like, oh my God, I am, this is freedom, right? And these people have a lot. Look, I, I've, I've done well financially, and, and we can talk about that. But there are people well above me striving for more. And it's not a critique on them, but it's just, wow. It's like when you find out what your enough is. That's the cheat code.
0: Yeah. And and it, it sounds like something that took you a pretty long while to get to. Right. Because as you said, like you were 32 ish around that time when you did the presentation from what I know about your journey and you you feel free to explain the whole thing, but I want to dive into these, these pivotal points. Those were also the years that you brought home the most compensation, right? That was like the, the strongest financial reward for your relentless and maybe somewhat aggressive, you know, work ethic that you had and comparing that now to a life where you're like, okay, I'm perfectly fine here, making maybe less but feeling that there, less is not too little. I find that very interesting and highly relatable. I'm in the same spot, which is why you saying, I don't know, resonated with me so much in that moment. And I would like to explore this a little bit more because I, I feel a lot of the people listening to this are people on their way to that point. And they're looking for for guidelines, for hints to how to find their enough or how to find out if enough is not a number, but something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ooh, so... I try to think of this, I have a little bit of a framework for this. And so it's basically money has diminishing returns, right? And so if you think about it, if you're living, if if you're living in poverty, right, and someone offers you, you know, double of what you made last week. It's life changing. It's, it's another month's rent. It's another car payment. It's food for your family. And so the value of that next dollar is so high. It might, you might argue it's worth more than a dollar in some regards because of all of the peace of mind that it brings. So that's the steep part of a, of a curve. Then it kind of flattens out. Some might say it goes negative. And this is where I differ because a lot of the research, like, you know, that's 75,000, like 75,000. I'm like, my rent's more than 75,000 a year. Uh, so that like that, that equation, may, maybe I'm not the one at fault here, but that's, you know, I'm not here to say that there's a number for that curve. But then you take someone like Elon or Bezos, right? I, I think Bezos had $150 billion. If you, what does that uh, mean? What yes. does this
0: mean, right? You,
1: you could give Bezos um, like eight Twitters, and he might not even notice that he has like more money, <laughs> yeah, that he's worth more, right? Maybe not eight, but like two Twitters.
0: Well, at this point, right? probably eight, but <laughs> I guess yeah, you're right.
1: exactly. <laughs> it is down eighty percent in the yeah. Fidelity documents, and so we can agree that at some point, right there there's not a dollar to Bezos is worth maybe 0.01 dollars. Yeah. And so the question is like, I think your people who are listening and again, I, w- I don't want to make any assumptions. I know my audience, m- most people are not scared of missing the next rent check. Right. And so, so that part of the curve, it's like, there's a fear, the fear that you're going to go back. And I think a lot of people listening to this, they grew up um, lower middle class, children of immigrants, you know, hustled, nothing was handed to them, right? And so there's this fear that you're gonna go back, right? So that's part of the scarcity, going back, right? And uh, I shared this tweet the other day and it was Scott Galloway and Sam Parr and they respectively have $100 million and $20 million. And they're both, you could tell they're, they're, um, Galloway says, I sleep with one eye open. I'm like, you have $100 million. And he's talking about his finances, right? And so, so there is that fear of, like, going back, right? And, and then on the other side of the spectrum, there's another phrase that I could like use. I call that the, the uh, um, prestige and power, right? That is the flexing side of the spectrum, when you use money to flex, right? And that's why Elon buys Twitter, right? It's not – it's to flex, right? Like he, he wants to be a media baron, Right. And so you have this one place where you're scared of, of losing it all and going back, the scarcity spiral. And the other side, you have prestige and power, right? And you want, and, and this is where this very powerful phrase comes in is money can only solve money problems, right? Money can only solve money problems. And so what what can money solve? Yes, money can buy you back more time, but uh, it, you, it can't buy you into shape. Right. You know, Um, money can buy you marriage therapy, but it can't necessarily save you from having married the wrong person. Um, Money can buy you great health care. I saw Brian Johnson, you know, the the longevity guy He has these T-shirts that say don't die. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I think in our (laughs) lifetime, money will not buy you immortality. I'm pretty confident on that one.
0: Unfortunately by like
1: immortality. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. Or
1: maybe fortunately, right? Oh. I mean that's a much longer spiritual that's a much that's, longer spiritual that's question. A,
0: that's an interesting point, yeah, I guess. Right. Right? right.
1: Like you could you would never be able to love something so fully if you knew you had in, infinite time with them. Yeah. Right. Part yeah. sort of the scarcity. So so you go uh, and you could take you, so you could see like people are somewhere in between those two ends and they're confused. Because they're like, I need that hedge fund job or that VC exit so that I don't go back to sleeping in my car. And you're like, what are you talking about? If you're at VC, if your venture startup fails, like you just move to a smaller apartment. You could live at home. Most people listening to this could live at home. It would be embarrassing as fuck. But most people listening to this could live at home. I mean, you don't want to be 44, or live at home with two kids and your wife, but you could. If I needed to live at my parents' house in New York City, I could. Yeah, it'd be
0: yeah, really that's embarrassing. The, that's the rat race kind of argument, right? Like the exactly. Yeah, you know, can can really easily step out of it. I think, but if everybody around you is on the same track, that's that's the problem too. Like, how do you, how do you deal with this? I if, if you have a Wall Street job and you have Wall Street friends and you have Wall Street socialization and also Wall Street expenses. How do you step out of this? How, yeah. how did that work for you?
1: It's um it's an intri- it's a it's a very good question. And I'm pausing because you know, to some extent I've I've done well financially and so I've managed to invest well financially so I can live well above my creator economy means. So I want to just, I always want to be very transparent about that. I was listening to another podcast. They're like, this guy makes amazing video photography. And they're like, yes, his wife is a, dad is a billionaire. So he literally can do whatever he wants on YouTube and spend like the best editors and everything. And so I just want to be, I want to paint a fair picture that a lot of what I can do, you know, where I can say that my rent is above 75,000 a year is because of, savings and investments that I've made prior to Wall Street. So just as a kind of transparency statement, disclosure statement. Um, In terms of the game, I think that um, there's a few things. One thing is that you can intellectualize it, right? There's always someone who will have more money, more status, be better looking than you. And if that's and if you need to know that you're the best at that like that you can intellectually try to convince yourself that that that's a losing proposition that's one the other thing but that doesn't actually work cuz if if you're sad let's say something you know um some you know your favorite car your favorite car like you, you you like cars and your car broke and you're sad and i could say like oh you could buy another car and you're like no 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 i have I'm sad because it's that car, right? I can't tell you to not be sad. So sadness is your reality in that moment. Um, So in terms of, so I could say like, here's an intellectual reason why you shouldn't care, but it doesn't matter because if you feel like you care, you care. So here's another way you can look at it is you can build it up from first principles. And so I, I think in one of my recent videos, I was like, I have a success statement. What does success mean to me? And so my success statement is I want to express myself creatively every day. Uh, And that includes what I wear. It's very important for me to be able to wear what I want to wear. I like fashion. I like feeling good about how I look. Um, I want to own my time, like be flexible. But here's the ironic thing. I'm flexible with my time, but I work about 40 hours a week. (laughs) I do. I was telling someone the other day, uh, I... I do about six hours of networking a week, and I've done about 9,000 networking meetings in my career. So like, to me, the this is like a cheat code because I don't view networking as work because I'm meeting cool people like you and other people on Twitter and so on. And we're being friends first, and then we're collaborating. Look, we're collaborating yeah. right here. That's right. So, so you could look at me and be like, this guy surfs every day. He barely has any meetings. He, um, he spends two and a half hours a day with his kids. He sleeps nine hours a day. Wait, he works 40 hours a week? He does six hours of networking a week? What? And that's where you start to see if, you know, I'm, used to, I'm a productivity person. The best way to be productive is to align your activities with what you value. That's, that is the meta game of productivity. And you could see that. What, what do I value? How do I do these activities, right? Like, it's all that. So that's like the metagame of productivity. So go back to the success statement: is be creative every day, uh, including how I dress. That's important because um, it makes me happy to, to dress the way I want to dress. Um, be flexible with my time. Only be around people who bring good vibes. Clients, collaborators, podcast guests. Like if you if I know you're you're a bad bad vibe person, I'm not just I'm just not going to ask you. Clients, I think I said clients. So be around people who bring you um, good energy. Um, never feel rushed. I hate feeling rushed. Um, and then surf every day.
0: <laughs> I, I love the last one, because that is just such a, a deviation from what success looks like for other people. I mean, it's such a such a specific personal one. And the fact that you rank this with, I want to surround myself with nice people is wonderful, because that's something that I share. I'm not a surfer, but I also have hobbies, obviously, right? And and for me, those take that place, but everything else is something that I personally can extremely resonate with in this moment. I really love this. And I have, uh, as you explained this, as kind of a development over time, what came to mind immediately is, this is very close to my success statement right now, but 10 years ago, my success statement would have looked wildly different when I was still an employee, when I was like on the ladder. So can you take me back to the time when you were still working in this job that you kind of actively moved out at some point, but before that, like what did success look like for you then?
1: It's a, it's a excellent question. And I wanted to, I mean, let's, let's, I could give it to you by decades. So when I was in my ten like tens, teens, um, a success would mean like having a partner, uh, a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks <laughs> yeah, like, and and being right. able to buy buy stuff that I wanted, mostly like Nikes and things like that. Because yeah. so my parents, they were, my parents were middle class, but they just didn't let me buy anything. And so I was I was like, oh, I'm going to show you, I'm going to learn HTML in 1996, and I'm going to go make websites for the local florist and bookstore, and I'm going to make twenty five dollars an hour cash as a sixteen year old in 1996. And I'm gonna buy whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> and so that was the, that was me as a te- in my teens, college, twenties, uh, young adulthood, living in New York. I my financial needs were starting to get met. The goalposts were moving to some extent, but it was that was really about um, status. And I wanted to be known as someone who was smart, as someone who was successful, as someone who was driven kind of like more of the kind of power-focused metrics. But I think in my heart of hearts, I think ultimately all is always comes back to, I just want people to, to think I'm a good person. I want just people to think that I'm worthy of love, of their love. Like that's, that's really what it all boils down to. Everything I'm about to say is just a veneer over this belief. And I have this belief that like, I have a hard time seeing that I'm worthy of love. And I don't know where that comes from i have some theories but i don't know where it comes from because my parents are happily married very loving they've given us everything we wanted i have a great group of friends my wife my kids are incredible they tell me they show me they love me so but again it's one of those things where i could say like intellectually i am a very loved person if i lay in my bed or if i have conflict with someone, or something bad happens, and immediately, like I'm like, no one loves me. It doesn't matter what's written on a piece of paper. All it matters is, in that moment, I feel like no one loves me.
0: Wow, thank you for sh- for sharing this. That that's a that's a, a deep hurt. I would assume that you have to deal with a lot. <laughs> it sounds like that's a that's a that's a occurrence that is that is not very rare.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, go ahead.
0: No, I I don't want to dive too deep into into the emotional distress. But if you're if if you're open to to have a conversation about it, I I can kind of relate to this. I I think ever since I put myself into the public sphere, this has become a stronger feeling for me too. Like I'm 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 putting myself out there. There's always criticism. There's always somebody who has something negative to say or think, or you feel treated negatively. And I think humans we're not meant. To be in front of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, I think that's just we're not supposed to be, and we we overemphasize anything negative, like the the kind of the bias that we have towards these things, so strongly that it starts gnawing at our soul. And with all the rationalization we could have, right, with these people don't know me, parasocial relationships, what do I care? It still hurts, and it 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 doesn't stop. Right, that's that's how I feel. Is that something you can relate yeah. to?
1: Oh my god, you're giving me goosebumps just thinking about that. And and I think this is something that I didn't realize until the past couple of years is that you if you, it, whatever you think intellectually, like I shouldn't be upset that this like Russian troll called me a jerk. Like right. it's literally a robot. That's right. And, yeah, that's the worst, but, right? This machine insulted you, me. Yeah, yeah, this machine. But if you feel hurt, you're hurt. That's right. It's right. And you can't intellectualize that away. And I think that's what your my listeners for sure, I suspect your listeners too, are like, oh, we could just intellectualize that. They're like, oh, it's just a bot. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. But if you feel hurt, you're hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I think so that was um I, I forgot your you had a question and I went on a, a bit of a tangent about this kind
0: No, of, Just go go right ahead. I don't care.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'll keep going on this because this is this is very important. Um because I that, I didn't even know that I had that hurt, right? That, that feeling of unworthiness. And um, and again, I think if you unpacked it, it maybe it's because, um, you know, my dad is a survivor of the Cambodian genocide. So it could be these like imprints of intergenerational trauma, which is not an area that I know much about, but I'm, I'm starting to, to learn bits and pieces about it. Uh, another might be that, um, as a child of like immigrant parenting is very, it can come across as very conditional, which is, well, if you get A's, I love you. And if you get B's, I love you a little less. And if you get F's, I disown you. Uh, and so there, I think as a child, you really internalize that. And then the third one is, um, is that, I think I speak for my parents, but I think I could generalize at least uh, like Asian immigrant parents, the first generation is that feelings are not don't matter. And so they kind of reinforce the message that it doesn't, you know, like I used to say to my kids, stop crying. And my wife said, what do you mean stop crying? They're feeling like this is their feeling. You can't just tell them that that's like saying to someone stop feeling. And I'm like, oh, damn, (laughs) And I mean, the number, trauma. Of people, <laughs> yeah. the number of people that say to their kids, stop crying, myself included. So I'm not trying to shame anyone. But I was like, oh, my God. The number of times my parents said, stop X, stop Y, stop feeling X, stop feeling Y, which is probably because they coming to the United States, leaving war-torn countries, they had they literally had to stop feeling because stopping feeling was a matter of life and death for them. And for my generation, second generation, it's not a matter of life and death for us. That's the privilege that they bequeathed upon us. And so to go back to the original question, I think that my 20s was, well, power and status and flexing and and stuff will make you feel, will kind of bury that feeling right? But it's just all temporary. I also drink a lot. And so I, 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 my drinking mashed down a lot of those feelings. 30s, I could talk a lot about drinking if, if that's interesting. Um, 30s was kind of like a little bit of maturity. It's like, I met my wife, we had a kid. It's like, okay, I, I'm i more, I'm an adult now. And like these big fears that I had of being like, I have, I had these fears of no one would ever want to marry me. And I remember when I was a teenager, I asked someone who was maybe like five years older than me, I'm like, uh, if a single guy can't find a wife, can they adopt a kid? And they're like, no, the person who was older, was like, no, single men can't adopt kids. Like, that's just, you know, they were just like, that's against cultural programming. And I think it's actually pretty hard for a single, even today, it would be hard for a single man to adopt a kid. But that was where my mind was, was like, wow, if I go through life alone, could I like, how could I have a family? Right, so you could see where these these imprints are real. So a lot of that gets thrown off the table at thirty, and uh, and we'll come back to the Wall Street story. But at thirty, I, I leave in the middle, and then it's like, okay, I own my time. And so you can almost think I'm like moving up Maslow's hierarchy. So the bottom is safety, physical safety, and the the second level is. Uh, another type of it's another type of physical safety i forgot exactly shelter or something and then the third one is love like you know love and belonging if there's like three and four and so i was like i was kind of in that love and belonging phase of a part of the hierarchy and starting to feel good about that so then it's like what's the next one is like self-actualization which is purpose and meaning so my 30s which led into my 40s which is where i am now is well what is purpose and meaning, because all the other boxes, I'm again because of the investments, my parents, the the sacrifices my parents made for me, because of the hard work and the luck that I had over my career, I've kind of moved up their rungs, and I'm like, oh, this this is the big, the this is the big Kahuna, right? Purpose and meaning, right? And you know, a lot of listeners be like, well, you know, if you have money, you can you can you can solve for that. I'm like,
0: mm, <laughs> you know, not a money problem. <laughs> that's, uh,
1: that's yeah, that's not a money will buy you time. That's for sure. But I know a lot of people with a lot of money who bought themselves a lot of time who are nowhere closer. They might be further from solving the purpose and meaning question than they were when when they had less money.
0: It's uh I, I have a lot of thoughts on, on this. Thank you for sharing all of this. It it kind of sounds like um you grew up in a in a family, and maybe also you you designed your life or you went into institutions where mental health was not a phrase. Am I getting this right? Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, you're right. And I think it's two things. It's, it's generational, right? So I'm 44. So I'm, I'm technically a Gen X, even though I behave online, like I'm a millennial. And if you, well, if you saw my TikToks, you're like, he's definitely not Gen Z. So maybe I just (laughs) behave like a millennial, uh, full, full stop. I'm right on the border of X and, and, uh, millennial. And so, I mean, just to give you some perspective, when I entered the workforce in 2001, I got a job at Wall Street. It was so common. They're like, congrats, you got a job. Let's get you blackout drunk and then take you to a strip club. That was just the that's the well, that's the onboarding sequence. Yeah, that
0: sounds like well, no one to me. thought
1: no one thought that that was strange. That was just flat out normal, like no one batted an eye. That was 2001, so that was 22 years ago, right? So if you are encouraging your new employees to get blackout drunk so that you can take them to a strip club, um, mental health is not very high on the (laughs) list of considerations. (laughs) You got other fish to fry. And I I do think that, you know, mental health really was like when when millennials entered the workforce, which is around, I think, 2008. So the first... Decade of my career, dude. Mental health, and I always joke. Sleep. Oh, I mean, millennials talk about sleep. Gen X, it, you were made fun of if you needed sleep. And again, this is a biased industry view. It's a very intense, very macho, misogynist industry. But I think it—it it was the cultural narrative. I mean, like uh, when you know, one generation before, people were 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 getting drunk at lunch. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's funny how the times change. It's it's only like 40 years ago that people were getting shitfaced at lunch during work. Day, right? So uh, but in 2000, no one talked about sleep. No, it wasn't until Arianna Huffington's book came out that the conversation on sleep started to change. Um, and so so mental health. So you asked the question about mental health. It wasn't it wasn't even in a conversation that we were having in society outside of Therapy, like therapy offices and mental. Yeah, like illness, mental, right? Like mental illness. illness like it was really. an illness, right? Yeah. And so I think it was right around when millennials kind of entered the workforce that mental health, no one used the phrase mental health until I, in my mind, like 2008, at least maybe 2010. I'd be curious to look that up. I'll ask Chad GPT after. Um, but so so it wasn't even a consideration for the first decade of my career. Then the second decade, I think it was starting, but then that was, it was Wall Street. And so then it was, it wasn't actually appropriate to take your team to a strip club in like, in after 2008, after, but that was probably for economic reasons, not for (laughs) social reasons. But he was
0: still drinking, right? Hopefully, were you still drinking? Yeah, sure. Still like,
1: (laughs) still drinking. Um, And so, so yeah, mental health is, and then you take that with kind of, Asian, first generation, child of first generation culture, like my parents still think it's a bit weird that I go to therapy. They're like, are you broken? You know, I'm like, no, I'm not broken. (laughs) You know, so um, so I do do think mental health was just a a different thing. And I think if you had other Gen X's, I think they would have similar ish because we kind of like we're the generation that like had like pre-internet, post-internet. So we're kind of like pre-mental health, post-mental health.
0: <laughs> Is, that's a super interesting observation. I think that the fact that we find our people much more easily, and we, we also learn more about other people's plight, through the internet, right? Not, not as filtered as it is in your normal surroundings, like in the institutions that we're in, in the businesses or whatever, where any kind of mention of your actual feelings might lead to you being dismissed from the whole thing. But you can find communities of people, your communities of like the the same experience, where people are, like share with each other. That that I think is a is a big deal. That observation that it is through the internet, through the connectivity, that we first get to learn from other people that have the exact same problem and that it is a problem in the first place. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's a little bit of a, t- a tangent, but I think it will be relevant here, is that when I left Wall Street, I started a newsletter. And the newsletter was basically me writing in public that I'm confused. I'm a 35-year-old confused man with a one-year-old, 18-month-old daughter. I used to make a lot of money. I did a lot of stuff, but I'm not happy, and I don't know what to do next, and I'm really confused. I think I made the wrong decision. I really want to live a purposeful life. I want to own my time, this and this and this. The thing that kept me going, and to this day, it still happens, all those people responding to my emails, DMs, I thought it was just me that felt this way. I felt so alone. Thank you for making me feel seen, right? And, and and you're so right. The beauty of the internet is I would I could say something like that, and someone who's ten years younger than me, that's kind of seeing the more ch- the younger version of me. They're like I'm that person right now, and and they go, you know, they live in Sydney, Australia, right? They've never been to the United States before.
0: Which which is why it's so wonderful that you are sharing all of this in public with people. Right, you could have just kept it to yourself and do whatever, <laughs> because that mm, is yeah. also a legitimate option if you have all the options, right? Yeah. But yeah, th- the fact that you are so so vividly and so em- emotionally honest, honestly talking about this. I find that irresistible. Like I'm very drawn no. to the way you deal with this because there's a lot of dealing with stuff, right? When yeah. I when I think about the the Maslow's hierarchy of needs you just mentioned, it feels like this this need for safety that you had and on top of which all these other needs are are founded, that goes way back. That must go way back, right? That is probably something you had from the start.
1: Yeah, it's like pre, you know, if you read any Gabor Maté, it's like this like the stress that the mom has, you know, like uh, the stress that the mom, the stress hormone of the mom goes into the womb. Like, I don't, I know my mom had stress hormones in 1979 and, you know, having lived in New York for a couple of years only, so.
0: Who doesn't, um, right? But yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you
1: still, I still haven't when to get Len in LaGuardia. But, but I thank you for saying that. and And I do, it's, it's weird because this, today my wife, she my wife never listens i just put listens to my content it's just too much of it and she's so bored of it um but there was a i put a podcast episode out and i've been more transparent about talking about money and the reason why i do it is i think there's probably like 20 percent of me that wants that like likes the flex of it um but 80 percent of it is really like i'm not painting a fair picture of my life if i don't Tell you how much I made, how much I earned. Cause all these fucking like seven figure blah, blah, blahs. Like I know so many of those dudes. It's all bullshit. It's like they made like $16 sen- selling a Notion template. And it's like seven figures. It's like, yeah, seven figures in rupees or something, you know, or like some currency that, that you know, it's like uh, it has like nine zeros in it, you know? Um, and so, so, or they, they had like one phone call where they give someone advice and they had a seven figure business and they're like, yeah. and so I just think that it's, it's just, I don't, like, I don't want to be like all saintly of it, but I just like, I, I feel like you make a commitment to me to sit through my podcast and read my writing and follow my tweets. I need to make a commitment to you that I'm being honest. Right. And it doesn't mean like I get copyrighted. Like I can tell good stories but i don't want to paint this picture i i yeah i don't want to paint a picture that that's unfair and and i do think that it's really like it's almost too tiring if you were pretending this is why i i see it as selfish if i was pretending it would be more tiring to remember the the web of lies (laughs) Yeah, I'm that's, too lazy for like, that. Yes, yeah, I'm just too <laughs> lazy. And so maybe we're just blessed with like, maybe our laziness is, is a blessing because I'm not going to fucking remember my lies. Oh,
0: uh, that's funny. I hate lying. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Like, in, in my laziness in, in, on all levels is a blessing. I, I started writing the newsletter because I had to force myself to keep writing by having somebody who wants it, right? I needed an accountability mechanism for that. My laziness kind of would have stopped me writing if I hadn't had people telling me, I want to read what you're writing. So same goes for, for just being honest. It's the easy way out. If I just share what's happening without like spinning anything around it, I can just do it in two minutes. Otherwise, it would take me 10. (laughs) It's a very pragmatic approach.
1: So let me tell you on this. There's this concept in Eastern philosophy that's called wu-wei, which is effortless action. And it... It goes very much against kind of Western thinking of the rugged, individualistic, self reliant, you know, man in 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 the this, the way the story is told. That everything has got to be a struggle, kind of the Protestant, like you have to prove yourself to be admitted to. You know, I don't really understand um, Christian, myth, you know, religion and all that, but you know, there is this like you have to sacrifice today to be rewarded in the, in the afterlife and so on. And then there's this concept that's like. Um, you know, Tim Ferriss has a question. What if it was easy? Right. And there's so many things in life where when you struggle, there's so many things in life that when you struggle, the thing gets worse. Right. So I'll give you a few examples. Yoga. If you go into standing bow and you're like, I am going to nail this standing bow. <laughs> you're going to pose pause. breaks you. That's right. You're gonna pose breaks <laughs> you. Writing. Right, you're like I'm gonna outwork writer's block. Does not mean you don't have to show up? You can't outwork writer's block. You have to dance with it. Right? Sex, right? You're like I'm gonna be the best performer in the bedroom. Yeah, that, Good luck with that one. Right? Um, so there's so many things in life where, where if you just release into it, you just, you just, it, it just, it finds you. And you know, I, I tell my team. I have one colleague now, and I'm like, look, the things that we're we're really good at three things: writing, is like email, newsletter, Twitter, and um, podcasting, which is just long form conversations. And so it's like, and the things where we really try to fit into a box: Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube. It sucks, and we hate it. And so you have this like very positive self reinforcing cycle. On the ease. Like, I never... It sounds like you, you're you the same... Like, never feel stressed about a podcast. I'm like, That's what? Right. Why I would I? I should to, to someone. I'm, <laughs> yeah, like, good, I'm good at talking. It's <laughs> fun. But, dude, 44-year-old, you know, uh, Gen Z trapped in millennial's body is um, not going to do well on fucking TikTok. It's, like, cringeworthy. Super and I tried. Cringe, but also fun. I try yeah, yeah, okay. I, I I never found it fun because... I could never surrender into letting go. I always was like, it has to be like this person or it has to, you know, I get hooks stuck in my head and and then I'm just, I'm just thinking in hooks. I'm like, I don't, I'm a long form writer. I I don't think in terms of hooks, like that's, that's not performative, on my brain right? Yeah. yeah. And it, look, I'm not, it's, it's, I will be the first to say it is its own form of art and I'm not, I'm not one of those older folks that's like, oh, these young people, I think these TikTokers are some of the most creative people out there. I just, it's a game that I'm just not good at it.
0: Yeah, and perfectly fine not to play it. I'm thinking about when when I hear you speak, I hear a lot of, you know, lifestyle design. And I mean this in the best sense of the word. Like, how do I design my life? Just even life design doesn't have to be stylish, even though you are. So I guess it's lifestyle design for you. But if I want to design my life, that one of the, the basic questions that just comes to me immediately is, do I want to design it a particular way because I want it? Or do I want it because others want it, right? It's like TikTok. I see people successful in TikTok. Do I want to be on TikTok because TikTok is great? Or do I want to be like these other people who have completely different surrounding circumstances and have a different result? So but that's that's something that that often crosses my mind. It's just like, are our, 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 our own goals truly our own?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's beautifully said, and I think that a question that I always encourage people to ask themselves is: Am I playing the right game?
0: Yeah, right. And, and it's like what
1: game? What game are you playing? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, you you right. seem you strike me as a person that plays an infinite game at all times. Mm. Right. You know, I never
1: right. read that book, uh, but I guess I can assume that it's like. Um, I could, I can interpolate the, the premise, the main argument of it.
0: Well, let me, let me just really quickly throw it right in, in, into this conversation that the definition of the infinite game is a game that is unwinnable. It is just a game that you win by keeping playing the game. It's like health. Or love. Those are games that you cannot win. But if you want to be loved and want to stay being loved, you keep playing and that's how you win, right? That's the whole idea. It's an abundance thinking, abundance mindset calcified into, into a game structure. Like the, the, the description of the, the definition between an infinite game and a finite game is like finite games are soccer games, 90 minutes, one, Plot. There's two teams of 11 players, each one ball. And at the end, you know who won and who lost. There's the players are known. Goals are known. Outcomes are known. Winners and losers are known for an infinite game. New players join all the time. Old players leave. You never know how many players are playing. You don't even know what they're truly playing, but everybody is playing. Everybody is doing something beneficial. That's my definition. And I am very strongly on this side of the infinite game. And I see yeah, you do the yeah. exact
1: same. Can I, can I confess? That I I do pl- I do see I play a lot of infinite games, but I I do fall sucker to mm. finite games as well. And so let me confess two of them, yes. uh, if I may. No, the sure. first is I got really wrapped into info products, mm. and because info products, you know, it's um, if I said you can chase things, right? So in Wall Street, I chased kind of the uh, like the money and the mm-hmm. status. And then on the internet, kind of the money and status comes a big part of it comes from people who play the info products game well. That's true, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. in our Twitter bubble. Um, and so I got seduced by that game, and you know we did uh, three years of cohort based courses. Yeah. We did it. We did. We were very proud. I was looking at our, our numbers today. I, I, I was. This is how much I I went to Podia, our course hosting, and we crossed. A uh, million dollars of of revenue, so there's an actual screenshot awesome. i'm like should i should I tweet this I'm like uh. <laughs> then i'm like I'm like the the guy, but I really and I still might tweet it so if 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 you're listening to this and I tweet it, please call me out in in my mentions uh, <laughs> because I will be a little bit of a hip, but I'll say like i'm I'm still motivated by ego, just I think a lot less than a lot of other people um and I can have the conversation in my head I'm like do you really want to be that guy? Cause you make fun of that guy, but you like to be that guy and you know, just be honest with yourself. That's kind of like what I say, just be honest with yourself. Um, so I chased that game and we did okay. Um, you know, it actually was higher. I think it was 1.3 over three uh, ish years, but I reinvested heavily, like almost all of the profits into hiring more people. And then it all stopped. And so That was a game that I chased though, because I was good at it, good, you know, COVID made any online entrepreneur feel good, uh, uh, look good. Uh, So I was good in COVID, which means nothing as, as an online entrepreneur. And then it stopped and then it was a blessing. I mean, we had to make some hard decisions and we impacted some people's lives with layoffs and things like that, that I feel, I still feel very like heartbroken about. But it was also a better decision because I had actually been seduced into a game that I didn't want to play. And that game, what I think I realized about Info Products is it's really a digital marketing game. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm i not that good at it. I'm, I'm okay at it, but I'm not good at it. And I, But I don't want to play that game at all. It is so unappealing to me, that game. But because I tasted the fruits of success, I was like, oh, let me go back. I'd even like called my accountant. I'm like, hey, um, can we like transfer the shares of my holding company into some like tax deferred thing so that if anyone ever wants to buy it, we don't have to pay capital gains. Like that's where my mind was going. And, mm-hmm. you know, so like a doctor who smokes, you know, I'm out here evangelizing, <laughs> like stop playing status <laughs> games. And then I'm like calling my accountant. I'm like, hey, let's get that tax." benefit baby. <laughs> so like call, I'll call me out on my bullshit if you ever see it. Um, so that, that's one game. A second one that's a little bit more subtle, but I think it's a very important game because there's two decisions in my life, in my entrepreneurial life that really made a big difference for me. And the first one was when I left wall street, I was tempted to become a venture back founder because that was the high status thing in 2015. Like this was way before the creator people were writing newsletters on tiny letter. That's the, that's the time of the internet that like Snapchat had just gotten Instagram had just ripped off stories from Snapchat in 2015. That's how long ago that was or short, however you see it. So I made a decision. I was like, I want to be a venture back founder because it's high status. Cause I like to play status games. Um, and that, back then even more so than now, but that was like, okay, you're just trading, you know, pig on lipstick on a pig, right? You're just going from 80 hours, 60 hours a week, no control of your time, high upside career to another six. You just change the, the code that you change the color of the lipstick. Um, so I caught myself there. And that was one of the best decisions ever, because it wasn't cool to be a lifestyle entrepreneur in 2015. Those were the losers that couldn't cut it. They were people looked at lifestyle entrepreneurs like they were fucking losers in 2015. Uh, so I joined the fucking loser camp in 2015. Welcome. Um, and <laughs> then here's another really yeah I made some great friends, man. Uh, then in 2000, uh, this just happened over the summer. So this is other thing. Um, when I was when I left Wall Street, you have it's a pretty stable tra- trajectory once you hit a certain level, and so I had a sense that like. Every year that I left, I probably would have made somewhere between one and two million dollars of W-2. And so I've been gone for 10 years. And so with without growth, without taxes, that's 10 million bucks. And um, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, I always had a story in my head that I would make up the difference through entrepreneurship. That was a story. Now, here's the weird thing about that story. You literally can't tell it to anybody because most people wouldn't understand. Then they'd just be like, What the fuck are you talking about? Other people would be like, You're kind of deranged if this is like the story you've crafted for yourself. And then the small group would be like, oh, Okay, I get it. Like, go, go nuts. Like, I understand that. Like, you're, you, then go do you. You do you, right? But, and I think about this all the time as an entrepreneur, is when have I created a prison of my own making, right? And with Info Products, I'd created a prison of my own making, marketing, a marketing prison. I was like, one pillar was like conversion-based marketing, like the next pillar was copywriting, and then the next pillar was landing page optimization, and the next pillar was SEO. You know, I was a prisoner to digital marketing, and I created it for myself. Sometime over the summer, and this is one of these things where it's like emotional and not intellectual, I was just like, I don't care about this anymore. And the funny thing is I couldn't tell anyone that either because it was just a made up story in my yeah, head. that's right. <laughs> it was just like, is imagine if like, Kay from 20, 2015 is like, do you know that there's a teal on a rainbow? And, and Kay's like, no, there's no teal. And then Kay in 2023 is like, turns out there's teal on the rainbow. Like literally no <laughs> one fucking cares. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's funny. That's that's hilarious. That's sad. And it's also really good because that that is it's fine, right? It's fine to to have these stories, overcome them, and just do the thing that you actually need to do. (laughs) And, And that's
1: the thing is like the that I have not felt when the minute I let go of that story, I was overcome by personal by freedom. I'm like, oh my God, I'm free. And I could make all these different decisions, and I'm still fine. <laughs> yeah. And that thing was so. There's never been teal on a rainbow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's funny. Do Do you think you still need stories, or have you given up stories completely? At no, this I still point? need
1: them, dude. I'm fucking human, man. I, dude, I, I every night. So my thing is, I, I I I get envious of people, and and in the creator economy, it's a very you know. It's like at least Wall Street, they hide their money and they like convert it into toys. <laughs> so you have to do a little bit of math. Like that plane probably costs 50 million. And like, But in the creative economy, every single metric is on public display. Every single one. And it, it, I know, again, the story, it's like, and they're like, you're. some people are actually rubbing it in your face, but that's a small minority. But it just, the, all, the algorithm is rubbing it in your face. Like every single day, they're they're just like, do you know that Logan Paul and Rich uh, uh, Jake Paul are so much richer than you'll ever be? And in my mind, I'm like, but they're idiots, and like, but they're really good businessmen, and like, but they don't <laughs> this, and the, and, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're like, and ah, they're unethical, <laughs> and they're this, and the suicide thing in Japan, and the, and I'm just like, yeah, but you know what? They will probably have so much more money than you will ever dream about, right? And I feel. I have a moment when I feel shitty, and so I take—I started this new practice. I just—I just made it up. Um, I started this new practice where, whenever I—it's—I uh, I, call it my envy log. And so, whenever I feel envy, I just take a little mental note of it. And it's usually with another creator, if I'm honest, and sometimes like an old Wall Street person. But at this point, it's been like—it's just I, I, th- their lives are so miserable that. I, I don't even like no amount of money makes me even like jealous about it because right? i know how expensive that money is uh in terms of lifestyle but I, with creators it's a little you know there's a lot of obf- obfuscation happening which is why i try to be transparent about it so i create this envy log so it's like logan paul and then you know amy porterfield and tim ferris and you know morgan housel and all those motherfuckers i love I, they're all amazing that's why I'm envious of them. Um, and so I create this envy log and I'm like, Oh my God, like I could write a book about money. Like Morgan, Morgan's on Tim Ferriss. Like if I wrote a book about money, like I definitely wouldn't get in bed, right? I did Tim Ferriss. And like, God, I'm a loser. And he's so awesome. Like what the hell is wrong with me? And like, oh, okay, no one loves you. Like, Oh Jesus, so we're here again. Um, so I take the envy log and then at the end of the, at the end of the night, like right before I go to bed, I just lay in bed and then it just I, uh, if you're not watching this, my eyes are closed. I, I'm like a mummy laying down and, uh, I'm just like, okay, you're envious about Morgan and you just like, take a few breaths, just feel what you need to feel about. It's kind of like the way you would talk to a child. Just feel what you need to feel about Morgan. Just let it sit with it. There's nothing wrong with what you're feeling. And then it just kind of like, it just dissolves. And then you're like, oh, that's beautiful. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's literally it. I just had to think about not even, you're not even thinking, you're feeling through it because it's the emotion that you're feeling. And you start to do that over and over and over. And then when it happens, like in real time, you're, you're, you almost trained your, your nervous system or your emotional system to just be like, yeah, okay, we've, we've been through this before. (laughs) Yeah save this save this next bullet for Nathan <laughs> Barry right uh Nataliasson's waiting on on uh, in the wings right uh but we don't need to do this with Morgan again we've we've been through this already um and I just again I have no idea I mean it's prob I'm deeply influenced by Eastern philosophy and Buddhism and and so I'm sure that that's some extrapolation of uh, interpretation of, of of one of those so
0: anyway It sounds very. So I do tell the stories all the time, and and that's I think the human condition is that we live in narrative. I think that's just either narrative we create in ourselves or narrative that comes from the outside. We talked extensively about expectations of others, uh, in in this conversation. Uh, It sounds like you're finding a way to actually meditate through these emotions without necessarily calling it meditation. You just you have your journal. You allow these emotions to come. You write the wave. You let them pass. And then you have another target for next time. I love this yeah. I, because I feel very similarly. I, there are so many great creators in the space around us, you included. That's the thing. Like you, you I feel know. for others. Yeah, well, and you, I feel like I,
1: I've probably done it to you. Like, look, <laughs> here we are. Oh man, I, I, I'm sure I've done it to you.
0: <laughs> thank you so, so, so much for for sharing all of this. It, it is uh, wonderful to to hear an, an honest and deeply truthful and and also vulnerable. Just presentation of yourself. I think you're doing uh, both yourself, the people around you, and everybody who is in in your vicinity as a creator a great service in sharing these things. So I, I'm getting emotional. So so honestly and so so clearly because we all try to get to this point and often stop ourselves, right? We, we we have these limiting beliefs that we can't, that we shouldn't, that we that we're not supposed to. And you're doing it in such a strong way. I, I'm just really grateful that you're doing this and I'm grateful that you spent an hour of your time almost with me here today. I, I am a big fan of you and your work and the things you talk about. I follow you wherever I can and I would follow <laughs> you on TikTok if I had to. But <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just say if people want to follow you and your journey and your ongoing self-discovery and your healing process from yeah. all the things that happened to you in your life, where would they go?
1: Well, thank you, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm so honored. I thank all the listeners. Um, you guys are awesome. Uh, so, if you want to follow, I, the the main uh, is my newsletter Radreads.co. Um, that's it's actually twice a week now, Thursdays and Saturdays. Four uh, hundred nineteenth issue going out tomorrow morning. Or, wow, at uh, time of recording, uh, effortless. I don't. There's no. I never stress about it. I've been writing a, an essay every week for 250 consecutive weeks. Um, so that's radreads.co. My most active social is Twitter, Kemrid, or if you just Google Twitter, k um, or look in the show notes. Um, the Examine Life podcast, every week we take a question and we ponder it with a smart, thoughtful person, uh, Examine Life podcast. And um, and then after that, I'm on all the other channels. I'm trying to build up YouTube, so give me a shout there. Um but yeah, and, and really what I want to say is if something resonated, just find me um, e- or hello at radreads.co and send me an email. I will respond with a loom. So like I really engage with if anyone sends me a thoughtful message with question or follow up or um, I always I, re- I I do things that don't scale. And so um, so, so shoot me. I'd love to talk talk with you if anything resonated.
0: That is so awesome. And I love your podcast. That is what I said, like about your honesty and your emotional vulnerability and your just capacity to self-reflect and project that into other people's lives in a good way, that's what that podcast is to me. I'm a big fan of you and your work. And I, again, am super grateful that you shared your time with me here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for today. I want to briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product. You acquire customers and everything is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. The problem is that you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's a lack of focus or a lack of skill or just a plain lack of interest and you feel stuck in your business with your business. What should you do? Well, it would be great if you could just dive into more work and quickly triple your revenue because you finally did all those things you never did before, like sales and marketing and whatnot. But reality is unfortunately not as simple as this. Too many times the story here ends up being one of inaction or stagnation until the business itself becomes less and less valuable over time or worse, completely worthless. So if you find yourself here already or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option and that's selling your business on Acquire.com. Your time today has value and selling to focus on other things can be a pretty smart move for yourself. Acquire.com is free to list and it's good to be prepared. So go to try.acquire.com and see for yourself if this is the right option for you and your business right now. It never hurts to check. Thank you for listening to The of Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at avidkal, A-R-V-A-D-E-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my books in my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It really makes a massive difference if you show up there for the podcast, because then the podcast will show up for other people. And that's where I would love it to see. I would love it to spread among more people who want to start things, see things through and get good at getting better. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.